Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Saturday Night Live. And life's too short. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we are going to be discussing at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Links to the videos are in the show notes. Joining me as hosts today, it's Julian Morgan. Hey, guys. Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. Hello. And Seth Alcorn. Hello. Today, we are happy to have on as a guest, Jackie Police. Hello. Jackie, did I pronounce your name correctly? You did it beautifully. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> Jackie, can you tell us about your background in comedy? Sure. I started doing improv at a well-known comedian producer, American University. Uh, if you're not doing politics, you're making comedy. Two members of Bad Medicine are American University alums, so yes. it's fair. We, we really are. I will say there are a good amount of AU people doing comedy. Um, so I saw a flyer in the dorms that said, think you're funny, come try out for Mission Improbable. And I had done improv games in an acting class in high school. And I was like, I did well in those. I'll go try out for this. I lied to my friends and I was like, oh, I have a study group because I didn't want them to know that I was auditioning for this thing. Because if I didn't get it, then, that, you know. I had to protect. Oh, I, I feel right. that way yeah. about improv now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went out, I auditioned, I got on. I did it all four years of college. I then moved to New York. I studied at Upright Citizens Brigade. I did a lot of shows that were poorly attended in bar basements. Um, saw so much UCB stage shows. Uh, it was all I did. And then I moved to DC in 2012 got involved with Washington Improv Theater, took musical improv with Travis Plager, and uh, was on a Herald team, was on the ensemble Commonwealth. I'm still on the ensemble iMusical. I directed uh, the October issue, which was an amazing show we did with the women in theater. I don't remember. I'm mm. terrible. Um, but it was it, all, all female produced plays were going um, on across all of DC. This was back in 2015. So that was really awesome. Uh, I directed another show, Yearbook. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of comedy here. I've performed in some sketches and I love it. Nice. I, I have a question that is somewhat improv focused and with your mix of directing too. I often see that improv groups have directors and coaches. What does an improv coach do? So people are always like, why do you practice improv? Oh, you've improv rehearsal. What's that? Oh, it is all made up. I like, we've caught you. And I'm like, no, it's a sports analogy. You're going to run drills to do well sure. in the basketball game. So a good director is just going to help you flex those muscles, you know, hone in on your skills, um, create group cohesion and chemistry, identify areas that need improvement, identify areas that are strengths. A good director, I think, is going to be fearless, is going to be honest, transparent, um, but also, I think, a friend and, you know, probably the biggest cheerleader of the team that you are coaching or directing. In a way, I've always found that when I direct or coach a team, I end up like falling in love with them and being like, oh, they're the funniest people in the world because you're like a proud, proud stage mom. And you mentioned iMusical. Can you tell us about that? Yes. iMusical is the improvised musical. Uh, we have been running in DC for about 13 years now, I believe. It is made up musicals on the spot, uh, directed by Travis Plager, who actually 
started in New York directing musical improv. First improv show I ever saw was under Travis's musical direction, randomly. This was like something I discovered years later. And it's, I think, you know, has, has a strong fan base. I think the reason why iMusical resonates with a lot of people, one, singing is fun. Two, I, Travis is a great director. He has a vision for the show, a tone for the show. Uh, The show can make you cry. The show can make you laugh. I, I love the heart of iMusical. I'm like a big, I, I'm a, I'm a stri- like like stickler. Like this has to have heart. This ha- I don't like when we just do silly stuff in iMusical. I like a show that is going to make you like cry and think and be surprised and shocked and scared. And so it's probably like the work that I'm proudest of performance wise is the stuff that I get to do in iMusical. That's really cool because then you're also you have to have that commitment with your other with your other players as well. So like I guess just having that trust really comes, I've seen your show a couple of times. It's like it, having, seeing that trust on stage is incredible. It's one of those things where you really feel the power of ensemble on iMusical because you could just look at someone and it's like, you know what you're going to do. And there's certain people that I've been on the team with for years, Dan Milliken and I came on at the same time where there was a, a show we did at the Kennedy Center and I like came up behind him and did something and he described what I did. And he couldn't see me. And it it was weird. It was like literally to your point, we just know each other so well that we, we know what each other's instincts are and what our comedic styles are and what our voices are going to be like in a show. It's, it's really rewarding to work with a team for that long and see the benefits of having a stable group of people that you're performing with, which in DC being a more transient city isn't always the case. And so I think that's one of the things that also has made iMusical. You have people like Matt Berman, Mark Chalfant, Catherine Dedman that have been performing in that show since its inception or its earliest years. All right, Jackie, can you introduce our first sketch of the day? Yes. So this sketch is from Saturday Night Live, 1998. Molly Shannon, Anna Guest-Steyer, and Matthew Broderick in Pretty Living, which was a reoccurring sketch. It's a talk show format sketch, which I believe is tried and true. Uh, We have seen it a thousand times. Physical commitment to character is incredible. Repetition is uh, huge and formulaic and definitely on display here. And uh, it is a sketch that pokes fun at the idea of a licensed joyologist, which I believe was the original life coach. Here's a clip. Why Hawaii? Oh, ooh, so many reasons. Uh, Waikiki Sheraton, numero uno. Okay. Uh, active volcanoes, number two. Uh-huh. And a little Midori melon cooler at 4 p.m. poolside, number three. I love it all. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Sure. So positive. Now, all right, Jackie. Why did you bring us that sketch today? I love it. It cracks me up. I adore Molly Shannon in general. She was definitely, you know, when I had to pick a sketch, at least three of the ones that came to mind were Molly Shannon sketches. And I love the character work. I love the bizarreness of it. I love bizarre humor, but my humor definitely skews more in positive, optimistic humor. I, I'm a bit more on that side of things than dry, sarcastic. 
So I wanted something that was in line with the kind of work that I like to do. I like a sillier character. The aesthetic itself is just funny to me. Like you could see Molly Shannon walk out in that character. She's got this like frosty blonde wig on and accessories and everything's like jingle janging. Like she has so much jewelry on. Anna Gasteyer is just perfect as this, you know, positive talk show host. Um, I think it's Gail, Gail Green is her name. And Matthew Broderick, to me, is a really strong guest in the sketch, which some of the other sketches I was watching, you know, now with this like fine eye of like, okay, what do I choose as a sketch? I think sometimes SNL doesn't know how to utilize the guests. Mm -hmm. And there were a few sketches that I liked and considered where the guest didn't add and in some ways detracted from the reoccurring character bit. And in this, I really think he does enhance it. And he's it's kind of a two peas in a pod thing. There's just so much... Uh, there's so many elements to it that I could like nerd out on. So yeah, yeah I, that's what I, we're here for. I adore yeah. it. Yep. I just, that's what I we're here for. It. And it's one of those sketches that my mother, who is my biggest fan, she will definitely be listening to this podcast. Um, she will be. Hi, like, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, Lorraine. So we should watch the language then. So, okay. Yes, right. I will. Just keep it very clean for her. I'm um, I'm impressed. You told your parents you do comedy. Mine mine still call it skits. How are your little skits oh, your going? Little skits well, going. Your hair is that garish copper color. Yeah, my yeah. mother says I have garishly copper hair. That's, that's fine. That's, oh, that's strange. Love. <laughs> and, and inaccurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's copper. It's only semi-garish. Yes. <laughs> well, my mom is a hairdresser, so wow. maybe we're onto something. Can here. she fix this? She, I don't think <laughs> right. it's garish, but well, we'll I mean, talk later. Yeah, it's pretty bad, though. <laughs> um, Seth. Yes. What are the benefits of using the talk show sketch structure and the negatives? Um, the benefits, you can pretty much do anything you want as far as the guest you're going to have on. We've talked a lot about the game show and how that game show works. So the talk show's similar in that there's a couple of basic ways it could go. You can have the host be wacky, which you don't see nearly as much because I think that's actually a little bit harder to pull off. Or you can have the guest be off the wall, which is usually the way things go. So the advantage of doing this is that what do you want the big joke to be? And then you just make your guest that joke. One of the more creative uses uh, to get a little bit off topic is the, uh, I forget exactly what the sketch was and who was on it, unfortunately. It's been a while. But the one where they just keep going, and we're back. They just Jimmy keep- Jimmy Fallon. Okay, yeah, Jimmy Fallon, there we go. It was a radio talk show. Right, it was a radio talk show. And they just keep, they just keep coming back, which is- and. That was one of the jokes. Anyway, that I thought worked pretty well. But some of the disadvantages of having the talk show, it's kind of expected. I don't I don't want to say it's cliche because if you do it right, it's not going to be cliche, but it is, it's it's done a lot. You'd expect to see a talk show sketch um with some frequency. And um everything's cliche now. Yes. Or when if everything's cliche, nothing is cliche, which in itself is a cliche. We're just going to keep going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I was going to say, wow. <laughs> turtles all the way down. Yeah, this, is, right. this is like nihilism or something. <laughs> yes. Sketch nights. Um, I think one of the, the other problems is that if you don't get the guest host relationship right, if you don't essentially set up the joke in a way that the host can play off it successfully, it's going to be a miss and that's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I kind of that jumped out at me about this sketch was that because in most sketches, just as Seth said, like the the host represents the world yeah. of the, the the world of the normal. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, it represents the world, and uh, either the the guest is 
either they're a stranger in that world or they're, they're um, opposing it in some kind of way. This one, everyone's on board with what's going on. And so that just like, it, it gives Molly Shannon a, uh, more of a chance to just really get physical and explore her character. They literally get specific about every little thing that she does. Yeah. And the host is totally supportive. So that's one thing that, that kind of stuck out to me. It's kind of like the relationship of like, like Bronx Beat, where like they yes. kind of, the, the two hosts, they play off each other, they're peas in a pod. The guest can sometimes be get in on the fun or like be like the uh, the sore thumb, but uh, it's just one of those like interesting things where like it's that it's that one thing that's not expected when you see a, a game show or a talk show sketch. Ek, and then Jackie, I want you to chime in after Ek on this one, and because um, I'm interested in your perspective on this question as an improviser from a sketch perspective, Ek. What are the elements of like a really clearly crafted character? Like we know a lot about Molly Shannon's character in the six minutes that we see of this sketch, even if I'd, I'd not seen any of the other pretty living sketches before. So this was all all new for me, but I still, it was pretty clear to me who Molly Shannon was uh, at the end of this sketch. So what are the elements of that? I mean, I, I think for this one in particular, energy is the most important thing and just full-on commitment to everything that she's doing. I mean, even if you don't know this specific character, I think you can watch this and recognize or at least be able to see that maybe you have, like, you know, a neighbor down the street who's sort of this lady or, like, the aunt or something like that. Like, the you know, the 55-year-old divorcee who's, like, doing a lot of workshops and self-discovery and, like, journaling and, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter. Like, there, there are elements in the details she's presenting, even about, like, the, like, when she's describing all the massive statement jewelry, you know, mm -hmm. that <laughs> as zany as she is, there are very real... There are elements to this character that are grounded in very real women that you encounter in a day in your day-to-day -day life. And it makes it as, as cra again, as crazy as she is, she's very relatable at the same time. So Molly Shannon in particular just brings all of those elements to life. And I think I think Julian, you just said that she's allowed to go into detail about everything in the sketch and really honing in on those things where maybe you don't have the exact biographical details. You don't know where she's from. You don't know where, like, she still never really clarifies why she's so excited about Hawaii. It's just the vibe of it. <laughs> and, like, you don't even need to know because she just, like, steps on the chair and, like, kicks into the air. And it's just that total commitment to the energy of this person and that is almost all you need to know because it suggests that there is this element of like denial of the challenges of the real world, but also just this in incredible optimism where like, even if you're like, who is this person? You just can't be like, yeah, go for it. You're, you're living your best life. I'm a little bit jealous of you that you have that much liberty and freedom and I'm into it. And yeah, I want that seashell belt that's varnished by Matthew Broderick because why not? Would that we all could be licensed joyologists, really. Right. Yeah, I mean, who even so cares simple. what that is, right? Like, that's the beauty of it. Like, I, I don't know. I've never been that happy in my life. Like, how do I get some of that? <laughs> <laughs> one, thing I, one thing I did want to see, though, was what is the host's perspective? Like, what's the show's perspective? Like, Pretty Living in the title has kind of a perspective. It's like, uh, this is going to be a show about how to live 
I don't know, pretty? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But she's the square, right? Like she's the person who's watching that individual who seems totally liberated and in her zone, who's like in the sort of weird boxy suit, who's like, look, I can feel the Hawaiian spirit too. So there's like, I mean, she's into it, but there's also a little bit of holding back and not I don't, I don't know if jealousy is the right word, but there's definitely a desire to be more like yeah. the Molly Shannon character. Yeah, she, she drops, uh, like, there's a quick down joke of her being like, my husband. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. you do you get yeah. that inside that, like, she is, she wants that. Yearning. Yeah. Toyology. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it, a yearning. it's a very quick, you yeah. almost, you, you <laughs> can mm. miss it. But I think that little, like, moment of her, you know, giving that, Oh, I don't have this. I yeah. forget what she said. All my husband got me was was, was a, it soap a, on a, a rope. Um, she said something. Uh, beer cozy. Beer yeah. Cozy, yeah. And it felt like a laugh line in the sketch. And they're like the audience didn't respond to it. Like there was it didn't like in the live sketch, it didn't feel like a laugh line. But I'm sure when they did the table read, like that was a big joke and yeah. it just hit. And I'm like, but it felt truly a little bit sad and then you've got Molly Shannon who just immediately comes back in and is like and now I'm just gonna kick in the air because I'm feeling great well I, I think that's it it's that why maybe that didn't hit so hard is it's because it's such a stark energy change and it's it's more jarring than it is immediately unexpected and that's kind of that you have to figure out that that line but Jackie I do want to hear your thoughts about character creation especially as an improviser yeah. um, where you're, you often work off of nothing so what are the elements of an effective character for you? So I think that there's character and then there's caricature. And caricature is unfortunately the route that I think by default improvisers are going to go into when they're first experimenting with creating characters. And then you get into some of the things EK said, nuance, relatability, um, you know, specifics, and I think that those are the things that the audience is then, especially in an improv, in an improv show, we are asking so much of the audience already. We're making this up on the spot. We want them to care about whatever nonsense thing we're doing. They're believing that we're on a spaceship in the middle of the ocean that has landed and been probed by alien bunnies. And then you're going to come in and be this character. And you're going to ask the audience to buy in on all of those layers. You need to make it believable. And the best way to do that is to kind of go back to what I said about iMusical is to have that human human touch, that humanity. When I, co I coached at this team like once. Someone I coached fist teams. I did it once. But I did say to the fist team, which Don't is worry, fight, that fighting. That means almost nothing. Can I, so it's a tournament. What's fist? Sorry, can I interrupt? Yeah, 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 yeah. you go for it. Fighting Improv Smackdown tournament. It's a big tournament that Washington Improv Theater puts on every spring. Teams compete to be the, the best team of three, now four in Washington, mm. D.C. Mm. Yeah. Didn't know they changed that. Yeah, right. yeah, it's four. They, they've yeah. been changing it up. So, you know, you want to win. You want to win this competition and all the bragging rights that come with it. And the team that I was coaching that year, I said, there's three things you want to be. Memorable, relatable, and likable. And I'm not saying every character has to be a good guy, a knight in shining armor, or this, you know, perfect, pristine person. But they have to be, there has to be something about them that is likable, something about them that is memorable, and something about them that is relatable. Because at the end of the day, we're all about ourselves and you want to see a little bit of yourself in that character or a little bit of someone you know. And so when I do character work, and I wasn't always this way, I really try to justify things and give things stakes, give things meaning. Because otherwise, if you don't care, why is the audience going to care? 
If you if you don't care as a character, then why are this audience is is in a black box theater on a Saturday night watching adults play make believe? Like we, you know, you <laughs> owe them a little bit of integrity with your performance. And so I in I musical shows, especially in Commonwealth and Yearbook, you know, I've always said I would rather connect on a human level and let the humor of that come naturally than like come out, you know, with hijinks right away. Let the audience buy in. And that's where heightening is the gift. That's why we heighten. But you got to get people to buy in at first. It's a very, um, that one of those last things has a very second city approach to it is the focus on the relationships of the characters and developing emotional relationships between the characters to mine humor from that. One of the things that I thought was interesting, this question is for anyone who wants to take it. Um, All right. So catchphrases. We've mm-hmm. talked about catchphrases a couple times before on this show. It does seem like they're a little less in vogue than they used to be, but they're fun in this sketch. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. Exactly. So <laughs> what, I mean, and, and I mean, that's the good example, but like what makes a good catchphrase? We've talked about, it's been a little while since we talked about what makes a good catchphrase. So what do you think, Jackie? What do you think makes a good catchphrase? It has to be sticky. It has to be easy. Yeah. You know, I love it. Like you could say that and I think most people would get it and immediately think of the sketch too. I mean, her catchphrase is I love it, which is joy, which is what she is. Like it, the catchphrase is her, it's like a mantra in a way. So I think it has to hit to the heart of the sketch itself. Yeah. Seth, is a catchphrase when you're an actor in a scene with a catchphrase, is that a fun thing to work with? Is that a difficult thing to work with? How does the catchphrase enter the acting aspect of it. It's a dangerous thing to work with. It can become a crutch, uh, and you've got to watch out for it. That might be one of the reasons that catchphrases aren't as much in vogue now is because, you know, eventually I I think everybody succumbs to the temptation to write the sketch for the phrase. So all it is is an excuse to have this person say this phrase. Ricky Gervais, who we're going to talk about a little bit later in Extras, had that whole sitcom where it was... uh, based on that that one catchphrase. And the whole point was that it was really super annoying if you thought about it at all. Anyway, sorry. So the benefits um, is if it's done well, then you say the catchphrase no more than you should. It gets the laughs it should, and everybody's satisfied. The danger is, we've already talked about the danger of going overboard. The other danger is going underboard, where you don't say it at all. Um, the state. And uh, was it Louis had the catchphrase? I want to dip my balls yeah, in it. I oh, like yeah. to dip my balls in it. Yeah. yeah. They were making fun of they, SNL for that exact same thing. Exactly. Uh, but the sketches were still hilarious because of the the joy and verve that were brought to that character. So this just feels it feels so natural in this sketch, though. Like it's almost like the character came first and she said it, and then a sketch phrase element almost evolved out of it. Yeah. Agreed. Did, wait. What did, did I say? Sketchphrase. You did, catchphrase. But, it made, but it totally makes sense. Catchphrase. It's yeah. on catchphrase. It's yeah. on brand. Yeah, but but no, I mean, it almost feels like it's it wasn't even intentional. And and I know I I read um, an article or some kind of piece by by the writer who actually put this together with Molly Shannon, and even she couldn't really recall how it came about. It was just this very organic element of the character. And one other question I want everyone to think about as we as we go out here is, does Matthew Broderick look like Justin Long in profile? This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. 
Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. Our second sketch for the day is brought to us by me. Uh, this sketch, which doesn't really have a name, but what I'm calling Liam Neeson does improvisational comedy, is from Life's Too Short, which was a BBC program that ran for one season starring uh, Warwick Davis um, as a dwarf trying to refine success in Hollywood after his past successes in Willow and Star Wars. Um, this scene is Liam Neeson coming to meet with uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, who wrote this episode and this scene, presumably, uh, to talk about getting involved in comedy. Here's a clip. Let's do some improvisational comedy now. Okay. Give us a scenario. Um, right, okay. Uh, you're a hypochondriac and, and Ricky's a doctor. Excellent. Okay. Come in. Hello. Oh, no, not you again. I've never been here before. So I, I thought, because you're a hypochondriac, you would have been to the doctors before. Don't presume. That's a backstory we didn't agree on beforehand. No, I know. That's improv, though, isn't it? You sort of go with the flow. I don't take notes. Okay. Can we go again? Yep. Because you around that. Andy, why did you bring the sketch for us today? Oh man, that's a good question. Also, um, can I just ask, is this really a sketch? Oh, this is it's, oh. it's in the notes. <laughs> it's in the notes. Let me say why I like it first. Okay. Then we'll talk about it. This, this, this part's gonna be totally meta because this this is like all the questions that Andy answered. I write the questions yeah. and uh, um I think this sketch is great for a number of reasons. One, the wonderful subversion of the celebrity guest. It's what do we expect from Liam Neeson? We get the we both get the exact opposite and exactly what we expect from Liam Neeson. I love it because they are telling these these horrible jokes about AIDS and bowel <laughs> cancer, and you can hear EK laughing. Like, it's really, I think, fucking excuse me. I, I had to go in a room. <laughs> yeah at my office today and just like, like watch it again and just crack up. And I was like, I can't explain this to anyone right now. Right? <laughs> exactly. it's, it's really, it's a bunch of anti-jokes. It's just Liam Neeson talking about horrible things that he thinks are funny in what he assumes is a funny way. Well, I think it's that- I've got full-blown AIDS. That he is trying to do comedy, but he's just doing just serious acting instead. Yeah. And just. Yeah. For some reason, thinks it will be well, funny. Yeah. But it is funny. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Because he's he's failing so bad. He's succeeding at failing, if yes. that makes any oh, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What's weird is that like I didn't laugh at all. Like laugh at all. Really? But I thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh I don't know. God, I cackled. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, I, I just had like a weird experience where I was just like had to like get up from my chair and go like wash my face. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely a little stout. That's <laughs> yeah, I was like yeah, like, I, I think this is really funny, but why well, I can't laugh at it. I can't laugh at all. Well, and there's two layers to it, which I think, you know, on a base level, you can just appreciate it because it's like he's being inappropriate. It's funny when people are inappropriate. It's even funnier when Liam Nielsen's inappropriate. But then as a comedian, you're like, oh, my God, he's negating the relationship. I don't know. Like, he's breaking all the rules of yeah. comedy, you know what I mean, of improv especially. So that's why I loved it because I was just like, it's like when Michael Scott t yeah. took his improv class, like, yeah. People doing things badly is funny in general, but then when you know why they're 
failing, it, you're in on the joke even more. Yeah. Like that bit, the first time they break where he's like, we we didn't agree to this. This wasn't yeah. part of the backstory <laughs> we agreed to. Like, it's yes and, Liam Neeson. It's yes and. Yeah. And then, and then just sort of like, I, I just want to say this, like Ricky Gervais has his, his pluses and his minuses, but he perfectly plays somebody who has had some fame and success dealing with somebody who's had much more fame and success that he cannot anger but also has to try to explain why what he's doing is wrong and how to fix it. And that's that's just, a, it's just a really great scene. Uh, but let's talk about, is this a sketch? It's a clip from a television program. It is, it's about three minutes long. Um, it occurs in the middle of the show. It was interesting when I was uh, doing research for this, I read the uh, AV Club's review of this episode of the TV show. And it basically starts by saying, the best part of this episode, which is the pilot episode of Life's Too Short, episode one is the title of it, is also the worst part of it. The best part is also the worst part. And the best part, the reviewer said, is this scene. The worst part being, if this is a sitcom, the funniest scene should not be the one that sidelines your main character almost entirely. Yeah. Um, so that, that was interesting. I think it's a sketch because there is a clear structure. It is essentially self-contained. You maybe need to know that Liam Neeson is a famous action hero or straight man. Yeah. But otherwise, you don't need to know a whole lot about anyone else for this scene to make sense. Absolutely. The, the one thing that might add a little bit is if you've seen some of Ricky Gervais's other works, so the uh, the two callbacks to, well, why does he get away with it? We don't know. That's That was that was brilliant for me, actually. Yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, that was part of the But part. you cannot know what's going on with Ricky Gervais and I think still get enough of it from context to enjoy that bit. See, I didn't know this was a, a sitcom. I thought it was a sketch show and they're coming in to write a sketch. So I, I, I just like kind of surmised that. So that's why to me it's not a sketch because it for me, it doesn't really stand out on its own. It's like you kind of need context. Does it matter? I know yeah. I know we've had know. this discussion before, but like if it stands on its own as a clip, like who I, I, who cares? No, that's actually... This it. is sketch nerds. We have I, to define I, it. We're I, nothing I without guess, the definition. I guess, but I don't know. No, it, it's, it's a good point. Slider. Like if it looks like a sketch and walks like a sketch, is it a sketch? But does that mean then that applies to anything that ever works in those parameters? Right. In a larger medium. Like, then we're just opening, like, you know what I mean? Then there's in-jokes from Parks and Rec that could stand alone, funny scenes that I could think of that you could watch in isolation and be like, that's funny because she's holding a, a dog and walking down a, a runway ramp on an ice skating rink. And you really don't need to know much to think that scene's funny. Good scene. It's one of my favorite scenes. Oh, my God. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's We've so actually good. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say, we've actually taken a bunch of stuff out of context on this show. Just little clips and snips of pieces. Just like life. Just like life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pieces of like, like a section of a Three Stooges film. Not the whole, And you could arguably say that, well, a Three Stooges film is basically a sketch. Okay. But is half of a Three Stooges film a sketch? Is Yeah, the, but part of that conversation was just that, oh, wait, when you watch a Three Stooges movie, it really just feels like a series of sketches that may or may not be related, kind of strung together, and then all under the umbrella of a single movie title. Well, no, it's 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 true. Well, it's the other thing I was thinking of when Julian brought in that bit from Dexter's Lab. Okay, well, it's two 15-minute segments that usually are basically one joke. 
that and that's how the scenes work. But anyway, that that might be a discussion for a different time. As we as I mentioned in the intro, this the content matter is basically extremely serious. There's yep. a very serious joke actually that is cut out of the clip that we watched. Um, it's where Liam Neeson lists the things he wants to do in comedy, improvisational comedy, sk- sketch comedy. Completely deadpan. Totally deadpan. He lists all the things he want to do. Lists parody. Uh, then he says, uh, "That's why Steven Spielberg cast me in Schindler's List because I'm very good at thinking of lists." And Ricky Gervais laughs. And goes, That's not funny. That's why he cast me in that movie. <laughs> and so, okay, we have jokes about Schindler's List. We have jokes about AIDS and bowel cancer. And as Ek and I said, we were laughing out loud at this. I, I don't know it. what I do. Ju- I know Julian. But I was also love the Taken movies. So that's probably yeah. I have a soft spot for this particular brand of Liam Neeson. But how, how? One of his particular skills is making Ek laugh. Yeah, it right. is. He didn't bring that up in the phone call, but it's definitely there. <laughs> how? How do they not quite get away with it? But why does it work, Jackie? Or do you think it works? I think it does work because of the contrast of him. Like, because you know it's not him. Like, you know it's not him. There's such a, a commitment that makes it work, that that straight face of like, I'm not joking. No, this isn't funny. Um, and I think that when handling any delicate subject matter in comedy, the approach is you're making a comment on it, not that it is your opinion. So it's a comment on people who think off color, just because you say something off color, it's it's comedy. So it's more of a comment than anything. So yes, I think they get away with it. Speaking of getting away with it, um, they also, uh, like Jackie said before, they break all the rules in this little bit. Is like It seems like everyone's a straight man. So like everyone's yeah. pulling each other out, just being like, well, no, you can't do that. And then he's like, everyone's justifying, like, well, how come you do it? So to me, that, that's that, that's what really piqued my interest, really, for this for this bit. Is that like, that's what I would call I would call it a bit, not necessarily a sketch. But it, it's it's just like everyone is calling out the unusual thing, yeah, and it's making the whole scene more unusual. No, the the tension in that room, like the three guys just constantly looking at back and forth at each other, like I don't think. I don't think we want to go <laughs> full blown AIDS. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's 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 basically. I mean, the real joke is how do you tell Liam Neeson that he's bad and that you don't want to work with him? Yeah, yeah, they cannot. They cannot. Um, kind of on somewhat on that same thread of the seriousness of it. Oftentimes in sketch, we're trying to get as big as possible as quickly as possible. Like get to the point, you know, famously in UCB's school of thought, the game should be established on the first page of your script, like get to what you're going to say. And often that means going very big. But in this sketch, it's everyone's very measured. No one raises their voice. No one kind of, even as Liam Neeson is getting frustrated, he's still kind of doing it in the exact same way. So, Seth, in sketch, what are the benefits to playing playing it naturally and playing it less? Wait, can I can I disagree with you? Just right out. Sure. Of the yeah. Gate, of course. Though? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I I mean, part I actually think of this. If you want to brand it a sketch, I actually think it's a character sketch about Liam Neeson. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And. And part of that character that Liam Neeson plays is sort of like the more angry and intense that he gets, while maybe the normal person would be like like talking faster and louder. He actually, like that character just gets more hushed yeah. and monotone. And so you almost see that same behavior in the sketch. Like, so that escalation for him happens very quickly. He's like, 
I'm going to do the AIDS joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would actually say that it's not natural. He, he plays that scene as a man with absolutely no emotion. Yeah. And you, you often see, like, if you were a star and you were in another media property as yourself, you usually play yourself without any kind of self-awareness. He doesn't have any, even any awareness of his craft. He's just in there doing the one thing he knows how to do, which is serious acting, and he's trying to call it other stuff. It's pretty clear that I wrote a bad question. Uh, no, even, <laughs> no, it was a good I, question. Well, it was even, a lot of response. Even that gesture where he's sort of taking that moment yes, before each that scene, is a big, like, the, like the sharp intake of breath, like and the closed eyes, like. <sighs> yeah, that is like serious acting trademark right there. Is what yeah. that is. <laughs> it just, I just, it just came to me now. Just thinking about this clip, though, when they switched to the shopkeep sketch and the tring tring, we're closed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it no, doesn't it work. It, it has to be open. It's why. It's well constructed. Um, Julian, are there three beats to this sketch? Um. Well, you don't think it's a sketch, yeah, so maybe this isn't the question I for you. I think it's more of a bit. Um, All right. So anyone else? Like what, what, right? what in your mind is the difference between a sketch and a bit? I was um, curious too. Yeah. So like a bit would be just. Um, so to me, the I think the heightening is very. It's it's very linear. It hits the same beat. I mean, it's hard to all, to go bigger than full blown AIDS. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, it's because of the adjective full blown. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's like (laughs) you you don't you don't need that. You don't need that in front of AIDS. (laughs) It's fine as it is. But I mean, the fact that he can, I mean, like, I would have given the man an Oscar just for being able to say full-blown AIDS with a straight You could see, I, I, I can't do it. There are outtakes to it, it, and you could see it clearly took them a number of takes to get that right. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to do it enough times that it stops being funny, and hopefully you can do it before yeah. it starts being funny again because you've done it so many times. Yeah. So what makes it a bit for me is that it's the same joke over and over, Where is it? In a sketch, you sort of take the one joke and heighten it to its most logical degree, to heighten it to its most logical degree. So they're in the same sort of uh, level, basically. They're at level one, and it just stays there. But I think he does that because he does the he does the first AIDS joke, and then he does it again, and then <laughs> then he. But he's taken in information, learned <laughs> that he should do something differently, doesn't. So that's why it's bigger because he's rejecting what he's been told. So then you get bigger and then they decide we're going to totally change the scene. It's a green grocer, not a doctor. And then he still has AIDS in the new scene. So he keeps getting bigger because but that's he keeps it. Like he comes to that joke at the end and it's like, like he just revisits all it's, of the it's things just he told like, it's just I've got bowel though. cancer. Like it's just repetition. It's not. I think the heightening is in the repetition, though. It's like a list sketch in that way. What is a list sketch? You guys say this over and over again, it's and whatever I, you want it to it's be. Not, yeah. It's well, not a thing. This is not a list sketch. I'm just saying it's like a list sketch, and a list sketch is a sketch where you just list a bunch of stuff that's funny. I think so you've just like made Stephane. that up. Stefan is a list sketch. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I think you guys have just made up that category for purposes yeah, of this podcast. Unequivocally not made that up. <laughs> it lives in your heart, EK. I yeah. don't, sh- I just, I want to see, I want to see like door. a Wikipedia entry. That's all I'm you saying. You have to open the door. It's time for final thoughts. Jackie, 
Can you come up with a rating system for how we rate these sketches today? We're going to use our sketch phrase, catchphrase. I love it. We're going to give I love it. I like that. So one, I love it is you like it. One to three. We're going to keep it simple. Okay. Three beats. Okay. Wow. I like that. Do things three times. Improvisers rule of three. So you either like it, you really like it, or you love it, depending on how many times you say, I love it. Well, why don't you kick us off with how you felt about Pretty Living? Pretty Living. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm kicking my feet. You can't see oh. it, but I'm kicking my feet. <laughs> awesome. Seth? I love it. I uh, Now, I will say this. It's not that I don't like the character. I've just seen another Pretty Living that I like more. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's, one? it's the one. It's the one with Ben Stiller. I watched the beginning of that one. Yeah, I, I enjoy okay. that one a lot. Here. Here. Okay. I love it. I love it. But I have a soft spot for Molly Shannon. She was sort of the renaissance of that whole generation of Saturday Night Live. And it still crushes my soul to this day that she's not in everything that's made at all times. I saw her in a tapestry once. It was phenomenal. No, that's a, a joke. Tapestry? <laughs> a- anything she's in that's anything made. that everything that's made. Tapestries are things that get made. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Later, we're going to talk right. about whether that's a list sketch. <laughs> You're in a nosedive. Yeah, right? Uh, hold up, hold up. Pivot, pivot, pivot out of the tapestry. I would bed. give this, I love it, I love it. I thought, I honestly thought Matthew Broderick was kind of weak in this sketch. Mm. Um, I And this is a constant problem with SNL because they don't memorize their lines, but I thought he was particularly obvious and not great at reading the cue card and also doing the scene. It seems like there was a lot of the, like head turn to read the cue card and then head turn to be like, to be a good actor kind of thing. And so that turned me off a little bit, but I loved the character. And I think, I think that's kind of clear across the board that we both all really like the character. Well, let's see what Julian has to say. Okay. Um, He's going to make up his own ways. He will. Yeah. Sorry. I I love it. I love <laughs> Like, maybe like... That sounds I like one it, and a half. But then, one and a half. I, I love it, but then like when... Are you going to do better goes, at this at your wedding? <laughs> yes. <Ooh>. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Promise. I love Shots you. fired. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do? I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Right off the gate, I'm just I'm just not a fan of talk show game show sketches because I think they're they're done to death. Um, but what I love most about this sketch is the specificity. It's like like every line is just has like a huge chunk of just meaty dialogue, and it's amazing. Like the tiny um, man with a kerchief and a mm. moustache. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, um, yeah. oh, is the yeah. t- the tiny Guadalupe man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and none of those details matter, which I was, know, which was so which great really about it. Great. Like there's yeah. this big buildup. It's like n- none of those things matter. <laughs> I want you to remember how great that was the next time we we're talking about random details. And uh, there, there were no jokes in this about bad 90s hip hop music. It's so. not bad. <laughs> Fat Joe is wonderful. <laughs> Agree right. to disagree. Let's talk Andy. about. <laughs> let's yeah. talk about Liam Neeson does improvisational comedy. Uh, I would give this sketch. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it makes me laugh out loud. It makes me laugh out loud every time I see it, um, which has been a number of times now. Um, I, I just think it's great. Julian? I love it. I like it. We should see other people. Well, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Is that one and a half or is that a negative three? I can't tell. That's uh, well, that's like a five. 
Okay, good to know. Um, it's like the relationship was great. It was hot and heavy at first, and then it got weird and uncomfortable, and then it's just, wow. we needed to like That's stop just all relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, like, You're also they, they getting married tried, soon. Yeah, just. <laughs> they wanted to try S&M, and I was like, marriage is when it gets weird and uncomfortable. Our separate ways. Uh, that's probably true. Um, I, 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 I think, I think it's, I th- it's, it's funny, but like also, I don't know. There's something about it just rubs me the wrong way. Is it the AIDS? It's definitely not the AIDS. <laughs> AIDS rubs me the right way. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jackie's mom. Yeah, weird. I think, we, I think we might need to cut What did that. you think of this sketch? I love it, I love it, I love it. Uh, I just really enjoy this. Um, I just enjoy Liam Neeson coming in, having two emotions, flat and slightly irritated, and just trying to be funny and assuming that he is funny with those yeah. two emotions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's think. just hard for me to diagnose this sketch. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of diseases covered in this sketch, so that makes <laughs> just sense. Two. Yeah. Just, yeah. Two. just two. <laughs> EK, what'd you think? I love it, I love it, I love it. But I also, like I said, I also um, love this particular brand of Liam Neeson. And so, like, two or three seconds in, when it became apparent that that's what this was, I'm like, I am in, I am in so hard on this. I will just watch it three or four times alone in a room and just it was just great i watched the outtakes it was wonderful and jackie what'd you think i love it i like it i enjoyed it (laughs) um going back to what i said earlier i enjoy a lot i like upbeat funny silliness so it's just it's you know i want i had seen it before which when you sent out the clip i was like oh i've never seen this so like if i'm being honest with myself if i didn't really remember it you know what i mean and I would not watch it again. So I think Ooh, that's why I, really? I like it. Like while the Mount Molly Shannon, like I've watched that through the years. I'll just like go go back to it. Um, so yeah, but I enjoy it. And I like the seeing someone like a Michael Scott, the Ricky, like the guy who's saying what he shouldn't say. I do think that's funny. Yeah. I just I just remembered I also wrote a sketch about a kid dying of cancer. So... <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guest, Jackie Police. Jackie, where can our listeners find you out in the world? Is there anywhere like comedy wise that you would want to advertise or no? Well, I'm about to move to New York, so it's sink or swim. Uh, Look me up. Maybe I'll be performing in New York in the coming year. Find her. Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. And Isaiah, our producer, has put in my notes to say five stars. So give us five stars. If you have a sketch you are interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can also find links to the sketches in the show notes. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. For Jackie Police, Seth Alcorn, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp, who's giving me a finger. one more joke. One more joke. You know who's really good at finding people? Liam Neeson. (laughs) Julian Morgan and Andy Weld. And I'm Andy Weld. just got canceled. (laughs) Thanks for listening to to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine. DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, 
please visit badmedicinecomedy.com. <laughs>